Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Today, I'm going to give you the odds the Vikings trade up or trade back or stay put in the first round of the NFL draft. And I'm Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings, fervent trash talk supporter. It's Sam. It's Luke. It's a Monday edition of the Minnesota Football Party. Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Welcome in. It's a new week. It's a new month on the Minnesota Football Party. Welcome into the show. My name's Sam Ekstrom. I'm at Sam Ekstrom. I cover the Vikings here at Locked On Sports Minnesota. Luke Braun hosts Locked On Vikings. He's on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, and it's like a postcast reunion. We are the yeah. duo that reacts to every game, and here we are, just the two of us, doing a Monday show. No Reef, no Luke Inman. They'll circle back at some point. Don't worry about it. Uh, on today's Do not program, worry about their whereabouts. I am not. I'm not worried whatsoever. Um, Please ask no questions about where Luke Inman and Arif Hassan are. We don't want to know. Um, I do know where Luke Inman was on Saturday night. He was at John Mayer. That's where I was too. And um, man, just get lost in that guy's eyes and his voice. And uh, we were, yeah, we were feeling it. That was that was fun. Uh, I think Luke is maybe on the road with John Mayer. That's probably why he's probably become a groupie. That's <laughs> where he is. Groupie. <laughs> we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the, uh, the pitch clock equivalent in the NFL, whether the NFL could ever make that kind of move to radically change how the games are played. Uh, remaining free agent targets for the Minnesota Vikings. As we get about four weeks away from the draft, how will they supplement this roster or are they done making moves? And, uh, is Quazy going to go full Rams like he never said he would? All that and plenty more on today's Minnesota Football Party, which is brought to you by FanDuel, the official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. Claim your no-sweat first bet there at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. The uh, national championship game is tonight, by the way. Good time to get in the action at FanDuel. Luke Braun, uh, give me 20 seconds. You were on an exotic trip last week. Where did you go, and what is one thing you did? Uh, my lawyer has advised me not to answer this question, but I did spend a lot of time at a beach. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, with sounds like some pretty suspect company. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I read a bunch of Bobby Peters books. It was great. I'm I'm studying Kyle Shanahan and his ilk because of Josh Oliver and CJ Ham because I think the Vikings are going that direction more. So I'm trying to figure out what their mm -hmm. offense will look like and how it'll be different. What's the best football book that you've read? Ooh, the best football book that I've read. Denny Green's autobiography. <laughs> it's so scorching. It's so like it also like holds up really well like he predicted 
mm-hmm. that the league was going to go to 32 teams like five years before it did. He predicted um, teams moving to L.A. He predicted roster or uh, the like the schedule expanding to 17 games and he thinks 18 eventually too. Um, wow. Yeah, like it's very prescient and you can tell he really had his his finger on the pulse of things. And also, I just love the context that it came out in the middle of a, a hot seat season. <laughs> um, today at Purple Insider, the Matthew Collar publication, he wrote a feature on Denny Green's time with the Sacramento Mountain Lions. And I talked to Matthew about this one, and I haven't read it all through, but I'm giving a blind endorsement. I think you're going to want to read this. Um because that's kind of a forgotten chapter of the Denny Green experience was his time with the UFL's Sacramento Mountain Lions. So I would, uh, I'd give that a, a checkout as well. One, it's another one of those failed startups that uh, mm. just never really found any traction. Um, all right, we are Luke Gimlin would have the countdown. I don't have it top of mind. Is it twenty four days from the draft? Yep, twenty four days, three mm-hmm. weeks and change. Vikings pick twenty third. Let's break it down pie chart style. Odds the Vikings trade up, trade back, stay put at 23. And make sure your math is right, because I'm a stickler about that. Make sure that these percentages add up to 100 here. That shouldn't be a problem. Uh, Copied off you in math class. Right. I'm going to go 75% down. I think that's the most likely outcome. Mm -hmm. No, you know what? I'll I'll dial that. I'll say 60% down. I'll say 35% up. I think if a quarterback falls to a certain threshold, I don't know what that threshold is. I would guess somewhere around 11-ish. Um, then I think they are trading up for that quarterback. If it is their quarterback, if it's like Will Levis, but they don't like Will Levis, they might not do that. Um, but I, I think that there are definitely worlds where that happens. I think it requires you to parlay a couple of outcomes, but n- none of them are all of that crazy to think about. Um, so I'm going to go with 35% and then 5% that they stay put at 23. I think that is by far the least likely option. Um, Quace is a trader. He's going to trade. He has, mm-hmm. he has yet to pick at a, at, at a slot that he entered the weekend with. And I think that I would not be shocked at all to see that trend continue by the end of the entire weekend. Is that, is that true all the way through the 2022 draft? He didn't stay in any of his spots? Not a single one. Wow. And how many did he go in with last year? Seven-ish? Six? That I don't remember. Yeah. It wasn't a super high number, but the added and subtracted along the way. Yeah. Hard to to keep track of. But yeah, I got five this year. You could be right. And I believe that counts stuff like trades that happened, you know, months ago or whatever that then, you know, you swapped seventh round picks or whatever. Um, Stuff like what would now be uh, like the Jalen Rager trade or, or like the TJ Hawkinson trade where it's the same number of picks, but you're just moving things up and down. Great postcast minds think alike because I've written down extremely similar percentages, 62% trade back. Oh, you and so I, I went, I went with some kind of odd, just off kilter numbers just to mix things up. Probably would have gone with 60% if I was being a little more, you know, symmetrical in my math, but 62% trade back, 33% trade up, 5% stay put. And my logic's the same. I think when push comes to shove, 
I mean, you're you're only going to trade up, in my opinion, for a quarterback. And are you going to give up any meaningful cost if you're trading up for anyone besides the big four? Like if it's if it's Richardson, no. It, it like let, let's take Young and Stroud off the table. They're they're not an option. If you're trading up for Richardson, you're probably trading up 20 picks. You're probably trading up 18 to 20 picks. That's a huge price tag. If you're trading up for Levis, that's maybe the wild card here. Maybe that falls in the early teens. Best case scenario, you trade up 10 to 12 picks. But I just think the price tag is going to be so great that Quazy is not going to love that value proposition because I think he wants to win the trades. I don't think Quazy wants to be the guy that gets fleeced. I think he's very principled in his trade chart, which is probably a little more elaborate than the Jimmy Johnson trade chart that we rely upon. I think it goes a little beyond that. It's a little more modern. I don't think he wants to lose. Um, So I think that it comes down to it. I think that he doesn't see the value. I think that they trade back and try to add value, try to add day two picks, which are extremely valuable in that top kind of 75 to 100 range. So that to me still feels like the, the, the main proposition. And I think, when you when you trade a guy or when you trade for a guy like Hawkins and you give up a second, I think I think Quasi probably planned all along to try to get that second back at some point. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and, will say and based assets, on the trades. The, oh, yeah, sorry. go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your finish, finish. We also don't know the full equation um with Sidarius and Dalvin, right? We mm-hmm. don't know if it's gonna be post June or pre I mean ideally. It's pre-draft. Ideally, you'd be able to get, you know, recoup any picks in a trade before the draft. But a lot of teams are probably at the point where they're just going to say, "Hey, let's uh, let's just get someone in the draft, and then you know, we'll we'll deal with any trades later on." So, go go ahead, Luke. Go ahead. So, uh, all I was going to add to that was um, based on the trades we saw last year. Quasi values trading back, I think, a lot more than other GMs on whatever his trade chart is, seems to more closely resemble the ones we see from like Ben Baldwin from like PFF. Um, and less like the Jimmy Johnson or even the, the Rich Hill one. The Rich Hill one is the one that I typically favor for trying to predict trades because it's based on what trades have happened, and I think it more best reflects like the trade market, if you will. Um, but the, the PFF ones, the like more analytics focused ones are better at predicting the results of trades. And essentially the principle is the trade back person wins a lot more, um, than I think the league thinks. And I I think Quasi's sort of willing to take something below market because he thinks, you know, trading back is going to pay out better. So it's, it's not that he doesn't want to be the guy that seems to get, it's that he doesn't want to be the guy that you look back on that trade in four years and say, oh, wow that was a fleecing. He wants to kind of have won the trade in hindsight, um, which I think will make it a lot more difficult for him to actually trade up, but the rules are different when it's quarterback. So if it is, you know, Anthony Richardson is sitting there at at eight and you're going, Hmm, can I trade, you know, first round, you know, 23, 87 and a first rounder next year and a third rounder next year, you're going, maybe I'll do it. Even though that's terrible value because it's a quarterback and ultimately the quarterback's going to pay that value back. Therein lies anything else. Yeah, no, I'm with you. 
they're not going to make a trade up for Marcus Davenport, you know, a la the <laughs> right, yeah. of, of 2018. No, um, this kind of goes back to Quazy's comment last year about going full Rams, which he regretted and he he pulled back and said, <laughs> ah, I shouldn't have said that. But now he we caught him in a moment of weakness, or I think it was the USA Today story, caught him in a moment of weakness. He wasn't fully media trained yet. He said <laughs> right. he never wanted to go which is full the best. Rams, I hope he never great. gets media yeah. trained. I know. Qu- yeah, Quazy, um, you know, locked up the key. You know, sealed his lips, locked up, locked him up, and threw the key away so fast last year after that story, which is disappointing. But at least we got maybe a little glimpse into his mindset about Kirk, about trades, about team building. And I wonder what the definition in his mind is of going full Rams. Is it doing it over and over and over and constantly surrendering picks for players? Um, because a trade up for a quarterback is likely going to cost you future firsts, um, mm-hmm. at least one. Or for sure. trading for someone like Lamar Jackson would cost you multiple firsts. And I, I wonder if that falls under his definition of going full Rams, or if there is a different set of rules for a one-time move to get a quarterback that you love. Yeah, you with the Rams, there are two things that I guess differentiate them. And one is how much they were sort of prioritizing the short term over the long term in terms of stuff like, you know, trading draft picks for guys with one year left on their contract, that kind of thing. Um, and not really having that kind of team control, but also that they just seem to not value draft picks that highly. If, if I can give my second round pick, if I can give up my Irv Smith for your Odell Beckham or whatever that trade was, I don't remember, but they're always going to do that kind of thing. Um, and they kind of have a point, right? Like, Draft picks are probabilistic assets. They are not, you know, your first round pick is not always a Justin Jefferson or Christian Derisaw. It has a chance to be a Mike Hughes or Laquan Treadwell and not work out. So the, they represent this range of outcomes and trading an asset that represents a range of outcomes and getting back an asset that has a much narrower range of outcomes like a veteran. That's why we always praise teams like the Ravens for trading fifth round picks for Calais Campbell, right? Um, and if they can package some level of draft picks, some level of cap space, turn that into a bunch of star players, they might just go ahead and win a Super Bowl with Matt Stafford at home. That worked out. Um, so I, I kind of want to, when Quasi said that the first time, I was kind of like, well, well, why not? You know, do your thing. They just, they just come off the Super Bowl ring, right? Like when he said that, it was like two months after they won. But I think what Quasi is, was talking about there was A, he probably doesn't have the same disdain for draft picks that Les Snead does. And B, that he is not trying to, you know, he talks about a time horizon all the time. And yeah. I think, I I still am not 100% sure what a time horizon is, but I think it's something about like, hey, look, after like 2024, there is absolutely no clarity on what the Vikings will be. Like if you look at who's under contract for 2025 and on, there's like a few void years and like nothing. Um, and it's, they've got like their whole cap is unrepresented. Nothing is allocated yet. And so after 2025, they don't really know what they are, but they'll, we'll find out eventually, right? Like they'll, they'll be mm-hmm. something. And I think what he means by that time horizon is like, look, we want to be competitive for 2023, 2024, but afterwards we still want to have the flexibility to do whatever it is we decide we're going to be then. Uh, whereas the Rams just kind of said, eh, let's just 
you know, screw the time horizon. Let's just go do everything we possibly can. That's probably what he means. Um, but with trading for a quarterback, that benefits you in both areas, right? Getting Anthony Richardson, let's say, if he's your guy, that benefits you in 2024, assuming that he takes his year and that he develops the way you hope and all that stuff. Of course, you're taking that risk. But assuming you get what you want out of him, he will be on your team in 2024 and 2025 and 2026 and 2027. So, yeah, you're spending a lot to get him, but he values, you know, he 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 carries value through future years and present years. Whereas something like um, trading for Odell Beckham with one half of one year left on his contract was yeah. a little bit different um, and kind of more yeah. short term. And, and that is truly taking long term assets and spending them in the short term. Mm -hmm. But trading for somebody like TJ Hawkinson, well, he's on your team last year. He's on your team this year, and he's probably going to get extended and be on your team for future years. So you spent a 2023 second round pick for a guy that's going to affect your team, hopefully, if they get that extension done for years to come. Yeah, well stated by you. I, I think it's interesting because Gary Kubiak made a comment in about 2020, 2021, where he said, yeah, you know, we just want to, we're trying to get over the hump. We just want to keep getting back to the hump. And and people kind of ridiculed it to say, well, yeah, yeah. why are you content in mediocrity? Why are you content being in the middle um, and not going all in? And Quazy made a similar comment. He he said early on, he said, we want to give ourselves multiple opportunities to win a title and keep basically keep that window open instead of going all in, kind of related to the full Rams thing. And it's almost like when Gary says it, we kind of judge Gary for being, ah, oh, well, that you're just cliching on us because you're the old ball coach. When Quazy says it, you say, we're being ah, ageist. <laughs> you sound in, you sound informed when you say that. Like you've actually thought through the mathematical probabilities of this. Um, and I'm willing to give Quazy a ton of benefit of the doubt because I like a lot of the the moves that he's made from a flexibility standpoint. I think what Vikings fans are going to have to endure during the Quazy era is they are not going to have um, legacy players in the same way that they did during the Spielman era. Like Spielman's loyalty to the guys he drafted and, and brought on this team was so great that it led to these drawn out careers where guys are here for eight, nine, 10 years. I don't think Quazy's ever going to have that attachment to anybody. I think Quazy is looking two years down the road. He doesn't want to sign players to five-year deals. Um, he's got that two-year time horizon, and it might be the case where you actually made some great signings, but, oh, you know, Byron Murphy has a stellar 2024, and then he's gone. And you might not be able to get attached to anyone because Quazy does think a little more short-term emphasis on flexibility, de-emphasis on locking guys up for the long haul. That would be a first for the history of the entire franchise. Um, I mean, look, you know, the, the team started out with Jim Marshall and Carl Elder and, and Mick Tinglehoff. And then when those guys retired, they get replaced with um, Gary Zimmerman and Matt Blair and these kind of stalwarts of the eighties. And then that yep. turned into the Denny green era with Carter and, and Moss and, you know, these guys that John Randall and these guys that are their legacy Vikings and, it, it, like it just goes on Adrian Peterson and then all the way up to these guys. And it just kind of goes on and on. If, if they become that team, that's kind of constantly churning through turnover. 
I think I would probably not be happy with that because turnover has a cost in and of itself. Cause you know, you got to train people, right? You got to, they got to get used to the scheme and, Oh, you know, the second year leap guys are in their first year yeah. of things does like come with a cost. So I wonder if it's, if, if like Brian Asamoah, is he going to be a Viking for, you know, beyond his rookie contract, assuming that he takes the leap forward that, that the team seems to expect that he will like, will that be a guy? And it's just that Quasi isn't loyal to the guys from the previous regime, which is what happens every time you get a new GM. If you look at, you know, new GM and what they come in and do the first couple of years, they're ousting guys that the, that they inherited. That's like, I, I didn't pick you. <laughs> I'm going to go with the guy I picked. Yeah. That's just how it goes, which is always funny because, you know, the draft, like right before a GM, like the 2021 draft, they just, he just cut all those guys. Some of those guys can make teams, mm-hmm. right? He's just, nah, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there might be just, a, there might be a more finite number of positions that Quazy is willing to sort of buy in on. Like he may never give an Eric Kendricks like um, set of, extensions to a Brian Asamoah like inside backer maybe Maybe. isn't viewed as as all that valuable in his mind um or the safety position or the guard position running back position those areas just might be a little bit you know a little bit down the ladder um after this I want to ask you about the pitch clock and what the equivalent would be in the NFL also want to take a look at the remaining free agents and I've got a couple guys that I think the Vikings should be interested in Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's America's number one sportsbook. The national championship is tonight. UConn's favored by seven. The NBA is also coming down the stretch to the postseason. The play-in tournament coming up. Wolves will almost certainly be in that. You can join now at FanDuel, and you can claim your no-sweat first bet. That's where you get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if that first bet doesn't win. Download the FanDuel app, which is safe, secure, and very easy to use and peruse the hundreds of ways to wager, not just on basketball, but on hockey. The Masters are coming up, and uh, all sorts of postseason action in this spring sports cycle. You can also stack your bets for a big payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss your chance at that no-sweat-first bet where you get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if that first bet doesn't win. FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Luke, have you watched any of the pitch clock in Major League Baseball? I've never watched a baseball game, but I am familiar with the uh, the story of the league, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it's like there's a guy. Have you watched a cricket match? It's kind of like cricket. I would sooner watch a cricket match, but no, I also I, I've not watched a cricket match okay got it um well there's three strikes four balls three outs nine innings a lot of numbers a lot of saber metrics um and all of it got very slow the games were eight hours long more or less that's cricket games were like three and a half hours long and the pitch clock has now sped them up to and it, and it almost seems like almost like a guaranteed under three hour game. And and there are there's already been some exceptions. Like some games have gone over three hours, but yeah, there's it is, like six thousand baseball games in a season, right? Like yeah, everything like, kind of happens. I, it seems like a an eighty to ninety percent guarantee that you're gonna get out of these games within three hours. A radical change. Um we've yet to see what the consequence is in terms of pitching, 
hitting, balls put in play. Like we need a bigger sample size for that. Early returns show that it's advantage pitchers with the pitch clock. Um, is there an equivalent in football to the pitch clock that would radically change the pace of the game? And would you want that? I I personally do not feel the need to speed up football games. I think people have the tolerance to sit through 315, three and a half if necessary, uh, once a week and a couple times a year. I don't think it's a problem, but viewing habits change, fan habits change, people want faster stuff. Is there a pitch clock for football or something similar? Well, so I guess the... Um... The XFL is playing with some of these things because the XFL, most games have been under three hours. Uh, go Battlehawks, by the way. Um, but they have a 35 second play clock, which I guess if you're to like put an actual perfect analogy, the play clock is the pitch clock basically for football. And they're which, just which leads to more plays. But does it do would that speed the game up or would it actually lead to more potential stoppages because you have more plays where the clock can stop? Well, so that's the other part is the clock continues running on incomplete passes and out of bounds plays before the two minute warning. Oh, um, and go. it also doesn't do the clock stops on a first down college thing. So they actually have a lot of timing rules to make everything go a whole bunch faster. Um, watching them, it does feel like it's a bit of a faster paced thing. And it doesn't feel like a whole bunch of time is being wasted. I mean, if you heave a pass out of bounds, they just get a new ball out there. It's not like the old days when they would have to stop the clock, go chase something down. Like, you know, like we, we live in a modern world. We can get the ball spotted in 15 seconds, whether the ball gets, you know, thrown 15 yards over everybody's head or whether it's a running play. Um, and then I think because of that, I think the 35 second play clock is an adjustment because of that kind of extra clock run so that you can still kind of have a decent pace. And from all the XFL that I have watched this year, at no point have I been like, this game feels rushed. This pace feels off. And they mm -hmm. also have a lot of emphasis and, and they've got like transparency too with, you know, you can hear the replay official, which is Dean Blandino talking through, well, now, okay, I see the knee down. I see the ball is out. Okay, that's a fumble go. And you can kind of feel it. So that helps the broadcast. I don't know if that takes any less time because it's still the same people kind of looking through, but mm. it helps the broadcast not feel like it has come to a screeching halt when you have like a, a 90 second review because you're watching him review it. Yeah. Um. So I think all of that stuff is good. And that is one of the stated intentions of the XFL is to be a testing ground for things that could possibly make football better for the NFL to adopt if they like it. And they already had the competition committee and other teams brought forth a whole bunch of random stuff from the NFL or from the XFL to the owners meeting that happened last week to try to consider it so that you can see that that is already being considered. And hopefully the XFL can kind of continue being that role, the place where Taylor Heineke's can cut their chops and where rule changes can be tested. And correct me if I'm wrong, there wasn't anything significant adopted for this year. The, the onside kick alternative was was denied. Um, I don't know if they made right. any kickoff Which is dumb. Changes. That is so cool. I, I really wish the NFL would take that. But uh, I get I that it changes. Like The idea of being down two scores with a minute to go, maybe they just feel like it should 
be like, okay, you've lost the game. But yeah, like, yeah, I think give, it's way more fun. <laughs> team, yeah, teams that are ahead by 15 with a minute left want to feel like they've earned a win and that there's no way that they're going to get cheaply kind of beaten there at the end. But yeah, um, which I'm sympathetic to, but also this is an entertainment product and I want it to be more fun, even if it's less fair. Oh, the Vikings will for sure be the first team to be victimized by it, right? 100%. Or, and I'm okay with that. And maybe in the playoffs, even like they will be the team to get victimized it, yeah. by it in a way like they'll they'll lose a 23 point lead in the last two minutes and not touch the ball. <laughs> and then they'll change the rule like the league <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as they always do. It's exactly how it's going to go. Uh, yeah. After the Vikings run Play the defense. End of it. Stop them. Don't give up three scores in a minute. Yeah. Stop a fourth and 20 fourth and 15. Right. Um, when you're at live games, like I'm, I'm just so conscious of it when I'm at games in the press box of how long the ads take. I've always felt well, like that's the other thing. Yeah. Just, yeah. And like, that's kind of baked in at this point. I've always wondered if you could just shrink the ad inventory and charge a little more per ad spot. And then you don't have these, these lulls where you go, um, extra point, long timeout three and out punt long time out um you know three and out quarter break like where you just have these ads stacked and stacked and stacked um and again i don't crave more speed to the nfl game but i do think that probably the equivalent of the pitch clock would be the the incomplete pass continuation where that does not stop yeah. the clock and maybe you Maybe you don't go as extreme as running it down all the way to the two-minute warning where that kicks in. Maybe it's like the final two minutes of the first half and five minutes of the second half. Just right, so like without a bounce timing. too much off. Yeah, because right now, if you run the ball out of bounds, the clock doesn't stop if you're in the middle of the third quarter. It start. I think it's four or five minutes left in the game. Is It only mm-hmm. starts stopping then, which you yeah. can kind of already have that framework, and you can just graft the same incomplete rule onto that. Certainly, yeah. Um, and I, I do wonder, too, if the XFL doesn't have the inventory that an NFL game does, and that's why their games are are being played so much more quickly as well. Probably a little bit of both. Um, I'll be honest, XFL hasn't been a viewing priority for me, so I would need to really sit down and uh, and digest some of these changes. But I think that's absolutely the way to get people to watch the XFL, is if they're doing something unique yeah. and and different. And I feel like it's going well. I feel like relative to other startup leagues, I feel like this is like people are are talking about the XFL. Yeah, it got a little bit blown out by uh, March Madness the last month, which I think is always going to happen to it. But yeah. like in the discourse or whatever, but they did have in the last couple of weeks, a couple of the most electrifying games, a couple of DC Defenders games where they had, I think the highest scoring game in the XFL so far was, defenders rough next last week and then just a couple days ago there was defenders guardians which was a 6 and 0 team versus an 0 and 6 team that was a really hard fought back and forth and the 0 and 6 team actually stole a win what um, i think offenses yeah the guardians won and they won against the only remaining undefeated wow um, it was yeah crazy but I think offenses are starting to figure it out. I think the first three, four weeks, it was still kind of preseason training camp where they had only really had like a couple weeks and now they're starting to figure it out. And I think defenses tend to lag behind in that a little bit. Um, Cause I, I, I think they're just, it just requires a little more cohesion and a little more time to really get their feet under them. So we're getting into this point where teams are just like regularly putting up 
36, 44, like <laughs> it's getting, which I think is good for it. Cause it makes it like a lot more exciting than these like 16 to nine kind of slop fests where you're trying to talk yourself into watching like Ben DiNucci and AJ McCarron. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that's awesome. So I'm looking at the free agent list. I'm looking at the Vikings needs. I want to know if you have any free agency targets kind of on the veteran market right now that you uh, you're circling for the Vikings to add here late in free agency. What do you think? Man, I really want like a good slot corner, but I think that the Vikings are trying, this is a total guess, but I think the Vikings are trying to maneuver such that they do not have a, a any slot only corners that they have three guys that could play the slot, but could play outside. And then that they can shadow and essentially deny the offense um, matchup advantages and dictate the matchups. So somebody like Bryce Callahan, who I have loved his whole career, I've always wanted him mm -hmm. to be a Viking. He's a free agent every year. He just signs one-year deals all his whole career. Um, he's also getting a little long in the tooth now, but I feel like he's just not in the cards. Um, I really want another corner. Nobody really sticks out to me, but there's also a lot of names here I'm just not familiar with, so maybe I'd like him if... You know, they sign him and I and I get to know him. I'm never gonna quit mm -hmm. dreaming about Odell though. <laughs> Justin Jefferson's big bro. I'm so, I, I I get it. ACL, I get it. You know, people think he's a head case or whatever. I don't care. I he's awesome. I want him. Um I'll Odell, I'll let you have that infatuation. <laughs> I don't share it. Um I would much rather have at wide receiver Olamide Zacchaeus. 25 sure. years old, former yeah. Falcon, super fast, top 15 yak guy. He's just sitting there. Just, I mean, he's not, oh, this yeah, is not that actually. This is not a 31 year old who's declining. This is, this is a guy who was probably untapped in Atlanta in a team that didn't throw the ball well. Their offense was bad and he was productive. Olamide Zacchaeus. I bet you could have him for, under four million, under three million dollars. Um, spot track, which I don't trust, projects him at 3.7. I don't take that number as gospel, but that's someone that Quasi would love. Someone who's just kind of in his 20s, prime still ahead, short term deal mm -hmm. that fits the bill. Um, also, Richie, for James. what it's worth, um. Brad Spielberger says mm -hmm. 4.25 was his projection. Oh, okay. Zacchaeus. So I wasn't terribly far off with that number. Richie James, I like a little less, but still like. That's another kind of slot guy. And when you have Jefferson, who does so much good slot work, maybe maybe you don't want to focus on a slot receiver. You want to have someone that can play a little boundary. But um, for as much as he was kind of the punchline of the jokes in the wildcard game like oh you're getting beat by richie james great um i kind of do like richie james cornerback wise troy hill that's another long in the tooth slot guy who just keeps putting up productive seasons um la connection o'connell sure knows who he is played over a thousand snaps in 2020 um but really hasn't had many bad years with a couple different franchises i i like troy hill uh, flyer, Ronald Darby, off an ACL, 
but the ACL occurred in like early October. So odds are you're getting him back for the season, probably at dirt cheap. And I think Ronald Darby's been a pretty good player. That's just the kind of low risk deal that I think would make sense when you have nobody in that cornerback room. And and nobody, no veteran experience too. Byron Murphy's the the most experienced Correct. player, and you're going to probably have a lot of young people playing a lot of snaps. So, I, I definitely see the logic there. Um, can I can I switch gears? There has yep. there been some Pelissero tweets that may be relevant in in uh, this in of late in this uh, during this show in the <clears throat> yes yes uh, at exactly nine a.m. Oh, here we go. I don't think it's quite breaking news. Pelissero just says. Dalvin Cook was recently in Minnesota for a post-surgery checkup on his shoulder and is said to be making excellent progress. And uh, Ian Rappaport quote tweeted this by saying, this should end his string of dislocations. I don't know about you. I mean, this is all speculative, right? And that actual information is, I mean, yeah, it's not the kind of surgery that lasts into training camp or anything. But boy, this feels like the Vikings telling the reporters to say, hey, Dalvin Cook looks great. Everybody look, he's real healthy. (laughs) (laughs) We schedule your tweets for 9 a.m. on the dot or for 11 a.m. on the dot central. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, exactly right. That's exactly right. And and maybe and if this is fake news, let me know. Was the surgery a way to guarantee him some of his salary? And I'm not saying I'm not saying he did it with like an ulterior motive necessarily, but did wasn't that a result of having yes. surgery that there was an injury guarantee that kicked in? Well, so my understanding is I never got actual confirmation, so I could be wrong here. Uh, yeah. But my understanding is that on March 17th, $2 million of Dalvin Cook's salary would have guaranteed. Um, that was also had an injury trigger in it. And I think the definition of injury is wouldn't be able to pass a physical. Um, and so by getting the surgery, he wouldn't be able to pass a physical. Therefore, the money locked in. But by March 17th, the point became moot. The guarantees are locked in anyways. That's my understanding. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe I'm strategically timed or whatever. I, I can't really speak to that. Yeah, I'm just really, really perplexed about <clears throat> the decision to not get this surgery earlier. I'm really confused by it. So, like the so last you, like three years? Yeah. 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 So you're... So what what I'm hearing is that Dalvin Cook could have, in theory, prevented the dislocations three years ago, and didn't and chose not to do that. I'm just very confused by that whole thing. Don't know if we have a good answer on that. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Sometimes with surgery, it's advantageous to try to just let things heal on their own if they're minor, which some of these shoulder things are just kind of dings and whatever dislocated. Okay. Put it in a sling for a month and it should heal and it should totally be fine. And then it gets re-injured and you go, well, this time it should be fine. And by the third time you go, okay, Jesus, I'm just getting the surgery. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that's the way that that played out or whatever. Um, But yeah, definitely interesting decision-making my speculation on Dalvin cook, just reading the tea leaves, Mm -hmm. Uh, and the, the way things have been reported is that they have in principle, some kind of draft day trade worked out that depends on how the board will fall. If it actually happens, that's my guess. If I were to venture one, that seems like the most transparent move that's coming. I don't know about Zedarius. Yeah. I don't have a great read on the mechanics I don't think of they that. Do. 
Yeah, I, I think it's just they're they're going to try to work out an extension, but we're doing this after the draft. I think that's where they're at. Yeah, and 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 where does Daniil fall into all of it too? Like, are they are they trying to make sure that they don't lose both? That they make sure they have one, but they can't. They're having a hard time negotiating with both sides. I, I, I don't know what's going on with that, but I if we're doing pie chart on Dalvin Cook being a Viking next year, eighty eight percent gone, twelve percent traded. Or Very no, ten percent traded, two percent cut. That's my pie chart. Did you do eighty-eight, twelve, and two? Eighty-eight. No, I I changed it. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight, twelve, and two traded. Ten percent. Oh, ten and two. Okay, 10%, I was going to get you for not having it add up. With them, two percent cut. Yeah, yeah, something. Something in that, like that, that like 85, 10, 5, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it does not feel like Dalvin Cook, the, the way that they behave just doesn't feel like they plan to have a bell cow like Dalvin Cook on a big contract. Like they went after Del- uh, David Montgomery, apparently. That was also a report, I guess, I saw. Um, Interesting. Yeah, lost out on him to the Lions, but apparently they were in on him. Yeah, that it just doesn't seem like a team that's preparing to keep Dalvin Cook. But who knows? Anything can happen, right? I mean, I always look back at like the Anthony Barr thing from a few years ago where it was reported that he signed with the Jets and then suddenly a plot twist. A lot of a lot of stuff can get different. Yep. Yep, for sure. Um, And it is kind of unfortunate because with this new 12 personnel offense that allegedly uh, they're going to Dalvin Cook might have thrived. But. Uh, Yeah, I think they can still get a lot of production without him. I think a lot of the stuff that Kyle Shanahan did with Christian McCaffrey, you could do with Dalvin cook. And that's actually pretty fun and exciting. Um, but there's a lot of other names that that could be, that could still be fun and exciting. A lot of guys in the draft that I would be really excited about. I think if you could flip Dalvin cook, you could get a sixth or a fifth out of that and dump the contract. I would actually think that there's a pretty good chance that you can replace that particular part of the role and then Alexander Madison kind of represents the other part of the role. And then hopefully by committee, you can sort of recoup your value. I'm a big fan of Madison in the passing game. I think that that that's a sneaky benefit of having him back. I think he can be really good in the screen game. And I think he was better than Dalvin cook in the screen game, to be honest with the reliability of his hands. I think he's just as good a pass pro guy. And I like him in the open field. Dalvin maybe he's better in pass da- pro than Dalvin. Dalvin had some issues his whole time here in pass pro. Yeah. Well, it, it you know it doesn't help to have a three times separated shoulder either. Like that's just a reality of, <laughs> right. of when of when he played through that. Um, that was a consequence, and he was playing through it a lot. Uh, Luke, that was a good show. The the Locked On Vikings postcast duo getting back together for for just Let's a little uh, n- nostalgia. Tomorrow, Luke Inman rejoins the program. J- uh, Draft centric edition of the Minnesota Football Party. Arif Hassan later in the week, or actually I'm not sure if Arif's back this week. I'll have to check with him on that, but uh, he's Luke Braun at Luke Braun NFL locked on Vikings host. I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Comment below. What do you think of the, of the Vikings running back room this year? And will Davin cook be a part of it? Let us know locked on sports, Minnesota on YouTube and we're free and available wherever you find your podcast. Thanks for listening today. And we'll talk to you tomorrow on the Minnesota football party.